My favorite moment. My own journey. The best day of class. And it was just such an amazing experience. Thus we get to know each other. It set me on a path. It really sparked something inside of me. Drive a love for. Seeing the professor. That's like really all I want to do. Become a better me. This is the coolest thing ever. That I really enjoyed about St. Rose. Hey, neighbor. Hi, neighbor. Thanks for coming over. Have a seat. Make yourself comfortable. Let me know if I can get you something. Oh, thanks for the warm welcome. I'll take a cup of tea and some warm fuzzy slippers, please. Oh, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> you know I always feel welcome in your place. I'm really glad. Thank you. Hey, speaking of welcome, I've invited some of our St. Rose neighbors over to talk about how they create a sense of welcome in the classroom. Let me guess. They give all their students warm, fuzzy slippers and tea. <laughs> no, but they have some amazing experiences to share about students and professors working together. I love it. Shall we get the conversation started? Let's go. Hi, listeners, and thank you for tuning in to the first episode of Dear Neighbor. We're your co-hosts, Liz Richards and Emily Pinkerton, and we're looking forward to bringing you a podcast season full of stories from students, faculty, staff, and administrators across the college community. And we hope you will join the conversation this year, too. In today's episode, we've invited faculty and students from World Languages and Cultures and Communication Sciences and Disorders to stop by and have a conversation about their experiences in the classroom. We've asked them to reflect on the work they do to make the classroom a welcoming space, and we're excited to hear what our neighbors have to say. Oh, I think our first guests have arrived. Let's welcome them in. My name is Silvia Mejia, and I teach Spanish and Latin American literature and film at the College of St. Rose. I've worked at St. Rose for 14 years now. My name is Camden Malone. I am a history and political science major in my last semester here, and I'm also a student of Professor Mejia because I have a concentration in Spanish translation. The first time I had Professor Mejia was last year, and unfortunately, we were on Zoom the entire semester, and so I was a little bit nervous on how the class would be, but I was I was largely impressed in how engaging it still was when we were on on Zoom, like I genuinely didn't mind just sitting at my laptop for like an hour and a half every day just because it felt still personable and I was still able to engage with my classmates and my peers more than I had anticipated I would. When I get to the classroom and we talk about this or that, I I try at least to make them know that uh, it's okay if we make mistakes. I think one of the things that I don't know if I've said this in a class with Camden, but uh, sometimes in the intermediate level classes, I would say, you know, I'm not um, um, native speaker of English. I am making mistakes all the time. And I hope that you won't make fun of me. And uh, so I think I make myself vulnerable in, um, in that, in the language class. I want to believe that it helps because uh, what I end up saying when, when I start with that is like, and I still can communicate with you. And um, I learned, you know, by making mistakes. And I hope that sometimes very gently you'll let me know that I made a mistake because I don't want other people to make fun of me. I think that that's important, making yourself vulnerable, making yourself known as a person and not as someone who's like a very far and away 
and who's some sort of authority. Yeah, it's it's really helpful when you can go to class and know that you're entering an environment that's going to be comfortable with you making mistakes. And that said, I think what's great about your classes is that we don't shy away from talking about large concepts and like deep thought just because we're afraid and there's that potential to make a lot of mistakes. I just recall from a lot of your classes where I maybe wasn't super confident in my Spanish, but I'll still force myself to try to convey a thought that I know is kind of beyond my skills in the language. And as I'm like rolling into the sentence, at somewhere along the line, I'll at least get a nod or something from you. So I'm like, I think I got there. And that kind of reassurance is always helpful when you're growing as a Spanish or English speaker. And you can't imagine, Camden, how reassuring it is for me as you as your teacher, when even though you may feel like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I have all the vocabulary that I need to complete this thought, you still try. It's great that you take the risk. Another thing that I always say, what's going to happen if the earth is not going to open up and swallow you. And I am not going <laughs> to, you know, become a green monster. But, you know, I know it's not as easy for, or, or it's not that easy for everyone. I think my favorite project that I've done with Professor Mejia was last year, we had finished reading a book and the assignment was to basically come up with an alternative ending and to essentially rewrite the ending of the book. I was just thrilled to have that creative freedom in a final project. So to have a heading or a prompt that's not straightforward and uh, allows you to really go in any direction you want, especially when you're using a, a second language. I, I had never had that sort of freedom in Spanish to write whatever I wanted to. And so again, it allowed me to take a couple more risks that I hadn't had the opportunity to do in the past and to kind of showcase some new thoughts and ideas that I could convey in Spanish. And I don't know if Professor Mejia still does that, but that was definitely my favorite. Once again, I'm so happy to hear because that is one of my favorite assignments too. And I think, you know, it's this class where we basically are challenging students that arrived to the class having read texts in Spanish, but now you're going to read a book. It's not very long. It's actually a couple of books, right? And uh, one is a little light and the second one a little bit harder and, and it touches upon more important issues, I would say. But then I, I remember I used to have a paper as the final assignment for that class. And whenever I was grading the paper at the end of the semester, I was just so tired of it. And um, sometimes the, the final papers are not the best. Like everyone is just wanting to finish this semester and be gone. And, uh, and I thought, how could this be more interesting? And, and I just remember where, what were the kind of assignments that I like as a student. Something happened because of the pandemic uh, on the summer of 2020. You know, we couldn't leave the house, so I enrolled in a couple of uh, fully online and uh, online asynchronous classes. So I never met the professor. It was all, you know, asynchronous online. And I was wondering, well, how am I going to feel? I have never been in a class like that. And I noticed that uh, one of the things that, that made me engage with the class, the instructor gave this very personalized feedback. I kind of craved their feedback. 
every week, you know, to my assignments. And so it made me feel like a person, even though we were, you know, there was this mediation, technological mediation, and I never really met her, but that made the class worthwhile for me. So fast forward a couple of months and I had to design my own classes. I really thought of myself as a student in that class, maybe because it was so recent, maybe because we were challenged with designing these new online classes. And uh, I thought, okay, one thing that I need to do is to make sure that there will be personalized feedback for my students. And the other thing that I decided, we have these little video projects and I created these videos sort of modeling for my students. And normally I, you know, relate things about my life, my family, but not so much. But I decided that for these classes in which we were not going to have contact in the classroom, I would reveal a little bit more about myself. So I made these videos with photos from when I was a two-year-old, a five-year-old, uh, my pets, and, the, and because it was, and, and that was just a way of using the language that we were, we were learning. And it turns out that that was very engaging for the students. And then they shared their photos from when they were babies, their pets, et cetera, et cetera. So in some ways, it was amazing because I felt like I got to know the students in a way that I wouldn't have in the regular classroom because I never knew about their pets or things like that. But, you know, the, the circumstances put us through this and something good came out of it. You said, Camden, that uh, you were surprised last semester when we had the class on Zoom and you could still feel engaged. You know, for me as, as an instructor, I'm curious to, to know what do you think it was that still made you feel engaged? Yeah, I think what was important was you offering up time for just like an open floor where people can really jump in and say their piece because a lot of times Zoom lectures are more structured where a professor will ask a question and then one student raises their hand and then they unmute and then it goes back to the professor. So I liked it how you would give the floor to the students to speak and then anyone can jump in and then after that, someone else jumps in and can respond to their um, their comments and thoughts. And so it's really still felt like a discussion rather than just a simple lecture, I guess. Everything that I really have enjoyed about Professor Mejia's class is how when you go to her classes, you're not just there to listen, you're there to engage and to join in with the class discussion. So I definitely learn best when I'm given that sort of freedom to make the mistakes in a learning setting where it's not punished, but you're encouraged to make those kind of mistakes. I think too often in a lot of classes, there's really just this heavy weight and this pressure on you to try to be perfect and to try to make it through with these assignments and these tests and quizzes with essentially no mistakes. And so going in with the mindset that we're going to make mistakes and we're going to learn from them has definitely given me a lot of confidence to, to take those like calculated risks. You mentioned, Camden, that um, sometimes, you know, in the classes, exams, tests, kind of that punishing for mistakes are are not very inviting. And you made me think recently, I have incorporated some quizzes that I didn't used to have in my classes. And I don't know how, how you feel about it. That's a good question because quizzes are really almost a part of every course that you will take in college. And I think 
it depends on how the professor uses them. If a quiz is given as really um, just kind of a checkpoint to see where your students are at and see what they've taken away from the week, I think it can be beneficial because it, it helps to foster that communication between the student and the professor. I think it's it becomes a little bit damaging to the student's personal growth throughout the semester when quizzes are really more used as sort of that determining factor to where they're standing in the course and where they're going to be finishing um, in terms of like their grade. And so it's not really about the quiz itself. It's more on the value um, and the meaning that the professor assigns to it. Yeah, that's very true. You just reminded me once again, an experience as a student. Some years ago, I took uh, some computer science classes because I've always been interested in the digital humanities and I wanted to understand better how, you know, these machines work. And uh, when I was your age, I never, never took uh, you know, uh, that kind of class. So as it turns out, this class was very challenging for me because I did not know much of, uh, you know, the kind of math that you needed for that and stuff. But I love the logic part of it, you know, solving problems using these tools that you learned about. So uh, every week we had a project and I was so invested. I would use my whole Friday solving the, the in, in submit my homework. And then um, I did what the, no student should should do. It's like, I just, you know, plunge into the class and never pay too much attention to the, the syllabus. So I realized at the end of the class or well, in the middle that homework was in that class worth about maybe five or 10%. And uh, it was all about the exams. <laughs> I did so bad in the exams, so bad. So all of my work that I did with so much devotion during the weeks was destroyed by my exams. And no matter what I did, I mean, sometimes I saw students that I was like half through the exam and they were already finishing and turning it in. And as you said, you know, it sort of affected me, my um, confidence. And uh, I don't know, I always thought that I was good at taking exams but not those. In my classes, exams would never have that value. The idea would be that you have different, different types of activities and assignments so that you would cover different learning styles, right? Now, so uh, to me, it was shocking that uh, exams would make 80% of the grade. Because if you think of it, I was the ideal student. I did everything happily. I really was happy to learn and stuff. And nevertheless, that had no value, you know, or almost no value. And, uh, and so I learned that I would never do that. <laughs> and now about these quizzes that I have started, including in, in some of my classes, they have more to do, well, they don't have great, great value. They are worth, I don't know, in between two and three points or so. But the idea is to have an opportunity to see how the students are understanding a text or some assignment that they have been given for the week. So it kind of helps me test the waters. And also it puts some pressure on, on my students to actually finish the reading. I always like to hear that my professors are still students as well. I didn't know that Professor Mejia is such a um, tenacious learner and is still taking classes. That impresses me. It's the Spanish classes here have shown me that there's so much more to language and communication than what really meets the eye. And so that has to do with how you speak to people, the tone you use, the careful word choice. And even the Spanish classes have taught me how to be a better listener, you know, effective listening and breaking down what people are saying and, um, and really being 
particular and meticulous in how you respond. All of those skills have really developed and gone a step farther for myself in these Spanish classes. Um, and even though my major is political science, like you said, it, it's so important in any field that you're doing really to be a good speaker and a good communicator. Thank you, Sylvia. Thank you, Camden. What a conversation. Yeah, there's so much to think about and, and to take with us, too. So the part that stands out to me from that conversation is the way that Sylvia spoke about how she makes mistakes in the classroom and, and she tries to use herself as a model. And possibly most obviously, you know, she says that she's not a native English speaker. So she starts a lot of her classes saying, I might make some mistakes when I speak and I hope you'll correct me. And I just think that that is really great modeling for students to, to know that making a mistake is part of the process. She also talks about how she hopes that you won't make fun of me, which I think is an interesting thing. From speaking to students, I know that they often worry that they will be made fun of. It really puts her on the level of the students that, sure, she's the instructor for this course, but she's just like them in another way. Yeah, both professors and students are vulnerable having this unique human interaction, you know, that the classroom creates, but when you are aware of one another's vulnerability, you really can kind of break down that divide that creates some of the fear and some of that image of a intimidating authority figure. Yeah, that really that really sticks with me too. And also Camden was talking about this idea of, you know, having freedom and agency, assignments that push a student towards or give them the freedom to choose options that are really meaningful to them. I appreciated that discussion of the yeah. the creative writing prompt that they had to yeah. finish a story a different way. Right. Yeah. It was it was a way that he could broaden his knowledge and his abilities, and it made the class unique to him. One thing that stands out that he said was that he was really impressed that to find yeah. out that Sylvia was a student too, and I and it really helped his connection to her. Yeah. Like we're in this together. The other phrase that uh, Sylvia said that I'm going to take with me is that she said one of her instructors in a class she's taken recently really made her feel like a person. You know, I, yeah. we have so much to do in the classroom. We have so much material to get to. But making sure that in all of those interactions, you're personalizing the interaction, you're, you're having quality back and forth as, you know, complex human beings can just make everybody feel more grounded and connected. Yeah, because ultimately that's what makes a classroom successful is the connections that you have, whether that's if you're a student and with other students or with your professor. I think it's like, I think what she really demonstrates for us is that we all have something to learn. Wherever, regardless of where we're standing, we all have something to learn. Yeah, and Camden and Sylvia really just reflected these points beautifully back and forth and are an example to me of the kind of trust that can be built between professor and student, that, that I trust you to receive my mistakes with care. And and likewise, I, I realize that my professor's imperfect too, and perhaps fearful standing up there. Yeah, I want to I wanna delve into this more. Yeah, I think that's something that the students might not always realize is that, you know, we're putting ourselves out there too. We do it every day. And the trust and care that should not just be one-sided. It shouldn't just be that they're trusting us or that we're tr entrusting them to receive our message. We should also give that to them. I think our next guests are going to have a lot to say about this as well. I think they're here. All right, let's let them in.
My name is Liz D'Agostino. I'm a graduate student in the Communication Sciences and Disorders program here at St. Rose. My name is Allie Ryder. I am a graduate student in the Communication Sciences Disorder program at St. Rose. So I am Dr. Deirdre Muldoon. I teach both undergraduate and graduate courses in Communication Sciences and Disorders. I specialize in developmental disability and pediatric feeding disorders. I have to say, I feel like from my, from a teacher perspective, and maybe this is just, you know, my anxiety and my worry about interacting with students. I, I just think that I hate to say no to students. Isn't that, does that sound stupid? I just feel like, you know, when somebody puts something out there, you put something out there, you want to be, you want to be acknowledged, you want to, and so unless the answer is completely wrong, I will be like, say more about that. Tell me more about that. I don't know how else to do it, you know, but I do think from a teaching perspective, I find that particular, that tiny little niche, very tricky. I always really liked that you would ask why if I was like, if I was raising my hand and I was super confident or like, even if I wasn't and you're like, okay, elaborate, like I have to think out loud and discuss it with you. And then either I have a light bulb moment and be like, oh, that's not right. And I remember, or I'm like, actually, I don't think I'm right. Can you explain? Because some professors would be like, all right. And then just like move on Mm -hmm. without, without providing anything. And you're like, was that wrong? Was it right? Was it okay? That is one of the tricky parts for me. I think the other tricky part for me in teaching, and I'd love to hear your perspective, is I get every once in a while, and not infrequently, I will have students tell me that they're intimidated by me. And of course, to me, I'm the loveliest person I ever met, right? (laughs) (laughs) So So I would love to hear a student perspective on that, but I presume that's just because everybody's intimidated by professors. Am I right or no? I don't know. I was just going to say the same exact thing. It's not just you. It's every professor, every person that's in a place of authority. Yeah. You you have, everyone knows that I'm a worrier. So I automatically (laughs) think of that worst situation, like, oh, this person's going to hate me. I'm not going to do well in this class. That's just how I am. And I imagine there's a lot of other people like me who think the worst in every situation and in every, not in every human, but I'm going to be the worst version of myself interacting with this person. But you're definitely not intimidating. We're all type A people who, like you said, worry. Like, I think everyone in the department is an overthinker. Every, like even the professors, Mm -hmm. everybody's freaking out about something at any point of the day. I think that it goes along with in undergrad, it was very intimidating to be like, okay, we're going to Dr. Robert Owen's class. And I was just reading out of his textbook last semester. That's Mm -hmm. like renowned, you know, nationwide, which is like a great position for us to be in, but it's definitely scary for like an 18 year old freshman, you know? And then you meet Dr. Owens and he's like the kindest, most lovely human being in the entire world. And you're like, oh, wow. I thought, yeah, I, yeah, I have this free hug coupon right here. <laughs> he gave it he out during counseling. So I, what, what, what else can professors do to lower that level of anxiety or intimidation? I think setting up an environment where it's comfortable for you to share your worries and have that open communication where it's not very one-sided, if that makes sense. I don't know if Liz, you have anything to add. I think that you guys do a pretty good job because from my perspective as staying at St. Rose after four years and continuing, all of the people that I've met that are new here for grad school are so Mm. intimidated. And I'm like, 
they're like, oh my God, like I have Dr. Pickering's class. I'm like, he's a teddy bear. It's going to be fine. <laughs> you know, like that kind of thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's, it's really a warm environment during like our program meetings. Like I've gone to two a year for four years and I know that it's just one big, like you guys joke around, like, you know, the, you can yeah. tell the staff likes each other, which puts everybody else at ease. Like it's a very welcoming environment. And I feel like from what I've seen with like my cohort, they quickly realized that even though what we do is hard and stressful, like everyone's open to it and it's okay to be stressed out about it. Yeah, I agree. And I came from a really big undergraduate program. So coming from that really big, not as personable, you're just shuffled through. It's nice to have a much smaller department where you can tell the professors and other professionals are there to support you. And I think that's really nice to have. I so I I'm hearing humor helps. I'm hearing communication helps. I'm hearing small department helps. Right? Yeah. I I also and when you were saying that I was thinking I like when professors are real. Like sometimes you'll come into class and just be like, huh, everyone's yeah. stressed, and that's nice to see. It's nice to know that we're not alone in being stressed yeah. and overwhelmed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like one day I went into class and I was having like an insane Monday. And of course there's, and now I have to be in class until 10 and I just got out of like a three hour clinic, you know, like crazy day. And I walk into voice disorders class with Dr. Pickering and I was like, like, hi, how are you? And he was like, a scale from one to 10. And I said, yeah, he goes, I'm on the scale. Let's just say that. And I was like, ah, <laughs> me too. We can talk about it later or something. But like, that made me feel like, okay, like we can relate. And just at least two of us are on the same page. <laughs> So those are the things that like professors do that make us feel better. So are there things that students do that make you feel better in the classroom, Dr. Melding? Yeah, I mean, honestly, Liz, you're one of the students who always made me feel better in the classroom, right? You're one of those people who puts themselves out there. You, (laughs) right? Even as an undergraduate, you would have, you know, if nobody else was answering, you would answer. And I think that that's important as a teacher, I really, really, really value student engagement in the classroom space. And both yourself and Ali really engage in the content and engage in conversations. And I think that that's what's helpful for me as a teacher, because if I'm just standing there and providing you with information, who knows what you're going to do with that information? The other thing that's important to me, I think, is a willingness to laugh at my stupid jokes and a willingness to kind of just like, even when they're not funny, like people will be like, oh yeah, you know, or, (laughs) you know, like you're kind of saying, yeah, I get you, you know, I, I appreciate that. I, I appreciate that students make the effort to make it welcome in the same way that I'm trying to make it easier for students. I hope that makes sense. It was a bit long-winded, but I got there in the end. No, I think that that definitely makes sense. And I I think your comment about like like the student engagement, I definitely think it's a give and take and the Mm. environment because like I really don't feel that I contribute as much as I could in classes. And there's some more like I've always engaged in your classes because I like the way that you respond to what I have to like contribute. And there's definitely Mm. other classes where I might stay quieter because I don't feel like there's that like give and take, if that makes sense. I'm kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum where I'm kind of anxious sometimes that I talk too much. 
in classes and not just like Dr. Moldings, but every class. So it's nice to hear that it's okay to talk in class. It's okay to ask <laughs> questions. And even if some, if you feel like everyone's, oh, she's the girl that asks questions all the time. <laughs> yeah. It's nice to know that it's all right to do that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it really is. And I, I appreciate the feedback. You, you know, I, I feel like that's the sort of student feedback that teachers really thrive on you know that that those those questions that you not the questions that are you know sometimes meant to derail a conversation but the questions that see the information and ask deeper questions about that information i think that's what's important that's what makes me feel like okay i'm doing a, an okay job here i'm i'm getting this content across and the application of the information is is just the next step away one thing that i can give you as a a student that's been here for her entire life it feels like is that even as an undergrad when I was like an 18 year old the expectations were still there for us to perform and we were never talked down upon if that makes sense yeah. so there's a little bit of a difference between how we interact now that I'm a grad student and it's been like yeah. five years but that's because we've known each other and it's more of like uh like grown into like a more like adult version and now I have a bachelor's degree um <laughs> yeah but like I don't see a change in the way that you interact with you know a so myself as a sophomore and like myself and my peers now that we're 22 and we have clients yeah so I think that's something that prepared us like I always knew you expected good things and like supported it like you yeah. you know what I mean like I felt that and it was never like yeah. oh you're a student you need to do this it was like you're a student clinician you can do this you're going to and like here's the support yeah and, and it's still how, there at the ground yeah. level. Yes, here's how. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, right. Because I feel like in my yeah. in my electives that I have to take for under for undergrad, you know, I have to do like liberal lib yeah. liberal and like credits. It was very much of like, you're the student. Here's your assignment, and like I'm the professor. If that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's true, and you know, I have gotten feedback from undergraduate students that I treat them like grads right that i don't make a distinction between the undergrads and the grads as a teacher i do make a distinction between undergraduate performance and graduate performance yeah. but you know what as a teacher you're all adults i think that's what's important to me and that it's i don't see you as unequal to me in any way because you are younger right than me i feel like if if we treat each other as adults and with respect then we can learn from each other and and i i guess that's another perspective for me that maybe we could chat about i feel like students teach me a lot i have learned a lot from being a supervisor i slow down i explain things though sometimes i don't ali's going to tell me no that's not true but sometimes <laughs> i just i just sometimes i'm just like nope this is what we're doing and we have to do it but I do feel like I slow down. I have gotten into the practice of trying to provide more written feedback. I choose my words carefully sometimes, especially when the news for the student is not good. You know, I think for me, if we're all adults, why would it be any different just because I'm the teacher and you're not? It's a really good perspective to have because in my undergraduate program, I definitely feel like my professors were more in the other boat where I'm the teacher, I'm the authoritative person, you're the student, everything I say is correct, mm -hmm. which maybe is why I had a period of time where I didn't want to go to grad school 
I didn't want to do it. I was like, I'm just going to go into corporate America and I'm not going to do what I really want to do because I felt like how I was being talked to was saying, you're, you're going to fail. Yeah. You're just not going to do it because I learned it one way and you're not understanding how I learned it. So it's nice to have that perspective of we teach you as much as you teach us. Yeah. And I, I think that, I think I'm, you, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like most of my colleagues here feel that same way, right? We feel like it's a coaching, mentoring, get these students to where they need to be sort of a relationship, not a, a punitive one or not one that says you can't do it. And I, as a department, I think that's important to us. I agree. I think it's department wide where you all want us to succeed and we're not your not your full equals because we're still learning, but we're almost there where you talk to us like you would talk to another clinician who's at the same mm -hmm. level you are. Yeah, I, honestly, that's one of the things to go back to where what we were talking about a little bit before is like us being on the same level in that respect is like yeah. knowing that Dr. Pickering's writing a book or you're involved in research is like they're still doing stuff too that we are. So they like, just like we yeah. don't just have class, they don't just have teaching and maybe like work during the day before teaching a class so it's like you know I'm worried about my research paper and you're probably worried about your research study so I am okay so in in complete transparency I have a research paper that is on my desk that has been rejected <laughs> twice already oh, and no. now my fear of rejection is crippling me and I am unable <laughs> to get it anyway I will <laughs> before yeah. the end of October that's my plan St. Rose is just really welcoming they're welcome welcoming us to be good clinicians they have a welcome staff welcoming staff professors clinics and we're also welcome to do what we want to do we're not put in a bubble like I want to do swallowing Liz probably wants to do something else where there's so many things we can do and it's welcome mm -hmm. to make those decisions yeah, and you guys are okay with it, and you want to know, like, genuinely. Like, that's what, like, yeah. it'll be, like, introductions. It'll be like, oh, what's your name? Where are you from? And what do you think you want to do after graduation? And everyone right. has such different answers. And, like, there's the jokes with, like, Dr. Jabonis about how no one wants to do audiology. But, like, <laughs> some people do. And it's, Some like, people so end up and, in audiology. Yeah, yeah. And so, or some people want to do voice. Mm -hmm. So, like, doctor, like, I was one of the only people that was interested in voice in undergrad. And Dr. Pickering was always like, oh, I know Liz likes voice, but I don't think anybody else does. But like, you're also receptive to change. Like, I really thought that I wanted to work with adults. And now that I am working with adults, I really like it. But I miss playing with kids during sessions. <laughs> like, I, I have a really good, like, back and forth with, like, younger kids. Um, maybe it's my immaturity. But, you know, I'm like, oh, maybe I do want to work with kids. So now it's like, you know, I'll discuss that with my advisor when the time comes. Yeah, yeah. And you have time. You have time to figure it out, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's what's awesome about the field of speech pathology. We have so many options and there's so many things we can do and we can change our mind really at any time as long as we keep up with evidence and right. we'll learn and use the knowledge we learned at St. Rose. Yeah, right. So EBP. <laughs> EBP. EBP. <laughs> Evidence-based practice for those, of the, those who are not in the know, right? My favorite thing, that and yeah. uh, mm -hmm. translating it to the actual real world. So I think 
It's another conversation that really centers how important open communication is. Like that conversation, it seemed like almost like they were having a party. They were enjoying being together and having this conversation so much. Yeah. And the consistent refrain of respect for one another, speaking to one another, adult to adult, you know, all the way from the undergraduate level through the graduate level, Mm -hmm. having nuanced expectations at each level, but having the fundamental assumption of here we are, two people collaborating, working together to both grow in this professor-student learning experience. Yeah, both growth for everyone, right? Yeah, Yeah. just like the relief that Allie and Liz expressed at these memories of of their professor coming in the room and just being frank about how their day was going, (laughs) being able to have a professor-student relationship where a professor could walk into the room and be like, oh boy, this has been a day, you know, Mm -hmm. but let's do this and let's do it together. I really appreciated that. Yeah, it's another good example of modeling in a way because like, of course, we're, you know, we're not robots. We have lives that we're living and stressors and we come in and do the task at hand and work together nonetheless. Yeah, I'm I'm amazed in both of these conversations how the words fear, authority, mistakes were Mm -hmm. really things that bubbled to the surface in addition to good communication, all wrapped within a conversation that was centered around welcoming environment in the classroom. I think that's really powerful, all the resonance between the two of them. I think also it's about this like connection between fear and growth that is inherent in what everyone's saying. Like there's something to dig into that. Absolutely. It's kind of like we're all here having one extended conversation, you Mm -hmm. know, over the course of a semester. I mean, or your entire degree is in some ways a conversation. It's it's something, it's a process that you continue throughout. By the time you get your degree, there's still more to be said. There's still more work to do. We are both still learning and growing as we sit here in front of these microphones. Yes, for sure. Next time on Dear Neighbor, we hear from the Office of Student Development and more. We, we really have two new classes here this year. It's not just our first year students and our transfer students that came in this fall, but are also our, our second year students, right? Who are having a much different experience than they did last year. Even our sophomores, we have first years coming up to them and they don't know how to get places either. They're just as confused as the freshmen. Starting fresh on campus after quarantine and distance learning. Next time on Dear Neighbor. Have a comment about this episode or want to hear something in a future episode? Drop us a note at www.stroes.edu backslash dear hyphen neighbor and scroll to the submission form at the bottom of the screen or send us an email or voice memo at dearneighbor at stros.edu and don't forget to follow us on instagram dear underscore neighbor underscore podcast dear neighbor is hosted by liz richards and emily pinkerton who also produced the show edited engineered and mixed by christian Shear. and event and administrative support from ali Ryder. Our theme music, entitled Sad at the Party, was composed by Michael Sanchez. Funding for Dear Neighbor is provided by the Provost's Office at the College of St. Rose. A big thank you to our participants from this episode in order of appearance. Sylvia Mejia, Camden Malone, Liz D'Agostino, Ali Ryder, and Deirdre Muldoon. And thanks to you listeners for joining us on our first episode of Dear Neighbor. See you around the neighborhood. Dear Neighbor.